0: Well, good morning, Greenwich. Welcome to the Friday, June 25th edition of the Basement Academy. Kind of wrapping up our week, we'll do some uh, thinking together out of Ephesians chapter 4. But before doing that, uh, tomorrow we've got some folks going to uh, the uh, Museum of the Bible. Uh, So a good group, I think it's like 70 people or something. I'm unable to go because I'll be officiating uh, and leading a uh, funeral service for Jan Deshaies, uh one of our dear members, uh, former moderator of our deacons. And so please remember uh, Jan's family. Uh, and then Sunday afternoon, Eric will be leading a uh, service for Jean Beach, uh, who grew up at Greenwich some years ago. And will be laid to rest in the Greenwich Cemetery. And so prayers uh, for uh, the Beach family. Uh, in this time of loss. And then of course our congregational meeting on Sunday morning. So uh, hope you will come in person uh, for church. Uh, we're urging everybody to come on back, uh, but we will be live streaming that congregational meeting. Live streamers won't be able to participate, but will at least be able to observe. Uh, and so hopefully you'll join us uh, for that, for the live stream at nine of the worship service if you're not in person. And then we'll live stream our congregational meeting at 10, 15. So a couple of administrative uh, notes there. Psalm 115, an important psalm. I think all of them are, right? Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but cannot speak, eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear, noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel, feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Psalm 115 begins with this kind of very, um, almost humorous, satirical description of the reality of idols. And so people are saying, where's your God? I don't see any God. Our God is in heaven. And what the nations do, what people do, is we make idols with our own hands, here is pictured silver and gold statues right who have uh who have uh, mouths but can't speak right <laughs> eyes but can't see ears but can't hear noses that can't smell hands that can't feel feet that can't walk and so it's the futility of idolatry the 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 it's it's the the, the banality what, what i mean it's 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 It's, I think, almost presented to us in a humorous way with a little bit of side eye going, (laughs) yeah. So they've got hands, but they can't feel. They've got feet, but they can't walk. All who make them will be like them. And so idolatry destroys the human spirit. And so we see this back to uh, the golden calf experience. Moses is up on the mountain and immediately Israel. This is the crazy thing. This is what illustrates the reality of the human condition. Israel, who had just seen God express his power uh, through the Red Sea and the, the plagues and all of that stuff. Even Israel, who has seen the demonstration of God's power, falls prey to idolatry. So imagine the nations, the Gentiles, that is those who who do not have uh, God's presence. So there is a worshiping tendency in us because God has made us this way. And then we pour that out into uh, the works of our own hands. And we think we find ultimate meaning and purpose in pursuing the very things that our own hands have made. How silly, how silly. So we need Psalm 115, it's an important Psalm. Okay, I said yesterday that I wanted to tease out some contemporary winds of teaching, the cunning and craftiness of men. So again, Ephesians chapter four, verse 14. So as we grow up, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. And so Paul says this is the problem. There are cunning and crafty people who deceive with their words, with their actions, and they wish to influence the people of God. We ourselves are not immune from this. In fact, we are in the spiritual battle. Okay, We are seeking to be transformed by truth, by God's word, But there is a world that is against us, that is trying to squeeze us into its own mold, that's trying to, is pushing back against us, pushing against uh, earnest faith and hope and love through Jesus Christ. And so the winds of teaching that Paul was dealing with had, I think, a lot to do with the identity of Jesus Christ, the person and work of Christ. Um, whether or not to continue to adhere to the law of Moses and the uh, and and the Mosaic uh, traditions and rituals and so these were very real um uh, issues that Paul takes on I do not want to deny that those are still realities people reject that there is a god atheism's on the rise um there, the, the the deceptiveness around evolution versus creation and so all all of that uh, and this is embedded in our public schools that 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 you know there is no God. There's only um, kind of some evolutionary process that started somehow. We don't know how. Um, and 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 there are frankly, a lot of internal intramural family debates within the Christian church. And I don't think that's primary. You know, debates about whether you baptize by immersion or by sprinkling that that's there's a discussion there. but, But that's not every wind of teaching. Uh, That's not cunning and craftiness. There's disagreement about predestination and the end times and, and things like this, forms of church government. Should you have bishops and popes or elders or should the congregation, you know, that is not in view. That is not in view. Though we Christians sometimes get fiddled into those things, right? We get all fussed up about, You know, well, my church sings this kind of song and your church sings that kind of song and that's not every wind of teaching. And so anytime you hear, excuse me, hear a preacher or teacher talk about other Christians as them, you know, holding to, you know, a wrong form of worship or a wrong form of baptism and and accused of every wind of teaching, that's not it. Trust me, that's not it. Uh, There are cultural winds, excuse me there are cultural winds that are blowing in and through the church and these are, are I think re- real concerns and I kind of want to you know tease uh, several of these uh, out <coughs> all right uh, one that is um in our face all the time right now has to do with human freedom and autonomy and i would even say the the world is saying responsibility freedom autonomy responsibility around gender identity there are increasingly this notion that a child is born and there are families very few right now i expect it'll be more in the future But there are some kind of high profile families who are not going to declare whether that child is a boy or a girl, regardless of what genitalia they are born with. We're going to let the child choose as they get older who they want to be. And so this is being driven, you know, we've got the LGBTQ plus, because all these other ideas. But it's the T, the transgender debate, the transgender phenomenon is just in our face right now. And it is blowing through the culture. It is blowing into the church. Okay. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how this gets handled in the Olympics. There is, I believe it's a power lifter, a male, biological male, who identifies now as a female and has gone through some medical treatments, I understand who is a power lifter for New Zealand, if I've got it straight. So you essentially have a like a 43 or 46-year-old male who didn't transition until later, well after testosterone, male testosterone, had, had shaped bone structure and muscle mass. And how is that going to play out? Curious, okay. <clears throat> so the whole issue of pronouns, you know, uh, debating whether or not you should call people by their chosen pronouns, all this. So, so this is the issue, okay? So that's the wind of teaching that's blowing around us, that we humans have complete freedom, complete autonomy, and some would even argue complete responsibility to choose our gender identity, that we are not born male and female as the word of God says. Okay, so this is where truth and the wind of teaching stands against us. So I believe there are some cunning and crafty and scheming ways that the world is conspiring around this. That if you somehow say that there's only two sexes, male and female, because this is what the scripture teaches. This is what Jesus teaches. In the beginning, God made them male and female. If you teach or preach or hold that view as a person, as a citizen, and seek to just kind of stand your ground very kindly, very gently and graciously, and choose to call somebody by their name instead of a preferred pronoun, People are losing their jobs over this. Teachers are being disciplined over this, particularly it's coming in the public schools. And so this is coming to the church. It has come to the church. It's come to our denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA. So at our presbytery meetings, no longer, so I I have a practice of saying sisters and brothers, Da, 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 you know, around the table. Sisters and brothers, hear and believe the good news. In Christ, our sins are forgiven. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. It is right to give him thanks. So in our communion liturgy and other times, I will speak of sisters and brothers, but at our presbytery, we don't say that anymore because that's offensive to the non-binary people who, who do not identify as, uh, as neither male nor female or gender fluid who identify as both male and female, Okay. So it kind of cuts both directions, right? And to say male and female as if there's only two genders and there's not intersex and uh, non-binary, that's offensive. So at our presbytery, we're told to say siblings. And we don't say kingdom of God. We say the kingdom of God because king implies male gender for God, which of course is what Jesus said and what the scriptures say. But kingdom then says we are kin, we're siblings. So it takes the kingdom of God away from the focus on God and it now focuses on kind of these sibling relationships that we have. So anyway, I'm just telling you that's how it plays, okay? So And it plays under the guise of love your neighbors yourself. And I grant that there is a loving of neighbor that needs to be wrestled with. So that's one wind of teaching that is blowing about our culture that is now coming to influence uh, within the church. Another one, obviously, that's in our face all the time right now has to do with race and racism. and the the need to be an anti-racist. If you are not an anti-racist, then it is deemed, you are deemed to be a racist. So silence on the matter is actually akin to violence. If you do not speak up against the sin of racism, you, we must assume you are a racist. So when you're silent, you are now, you're complicit with the problem. And so um, it is, uh, being said that the original sin now is racism. Now, it's sometimes in the context of the original sin of America is racism, that our nation was not conceived in liberty in 1776, but it was concerned. It was conceived in 1619 as a foil for uh, colonialism and for slavery, and that the Constitution is nothing but a uh, 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 an expression of white supremacy. Now, that's out there in the culture, okay? So there's some church-state issues that that, that may be at play here. But what I'm saying is this is now influencing the church. I sat through uh, 18 hours. I missed, excuse me, missed one session, so 15 hours. I still have to make that up. But there was an 18-hour training offered by a secular organization, but, but brought to us by our presbytery, mandated. So Eric will be doing that this fall, I believe, uh, the, the fall cohort. And <clears throat> the, the, the sin that must be confronted, and it really wasn't even language of sin, but the, the issue that must be confronted is white supremacy and racism. And it was stated that only white people can be racist. By definition, since they're the only ones who hold power, uh, uh, an oppressed minority, be it a racial minority or a gender minority, that was spoken of also, oppressed, you know, LGBTQ, uh, oppressed uh, gender and racial minorities, by definition, according to this framework, cannot be guilty of any form of sin around um, this, this oppression matrix, as it were. Racism is not the original sin. A, 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 a taking unto the oneself, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the original sin, which one of the manifestations of that is racism. So I do not deny that there is racism. I, I, I don't deny that at all. And I would actually openly <laughs> uh, affirm the reality of our American history that, uh, that, that white people, many white people have expressed racist uh, things and, and lynchings and, and horrible, horrible things. But the notion that only white people can be racist is false. That is a cunning and crafty and deceitful scheming lie. <laughs> Everybody can be racist. Everybody forms these moral tribes. So everybody has eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so so when sinners band together into some kind of moral or ideological tribe, we look at others and we tend to demonize them. I speak of this all the time. And so this is defensible from the scripture. And that's the point that our scriptures teach us that all have sinned. And so, um, so that is one of the winds of, of teaching. It is cunning and crafty. And so there is a, a sympathy for those who suffer. We ought to have sympathy for those who suffer. We have the quartet of the vulnerable, the widows, the orphans, the foreigners, and the poor. Are there people who struggle in America? Absolutely. Are there people who've suffered injustice? Absolutely but to lay all at the feet of one race and then to teach children this, to, to hate their own race or to somehow view people by their skin color. So I've actually heard that, and read that Martin Luther King's vision of the colorblind society where we judge people not by the color of their skin, but the, by the content of their character, that that itself is wrong, that that is racist. To be colorblind is racist that Martin Luther King Jr was complicit with the white man he was he was he was himself deceived into this white supremacy trying to suck up to the white uh, man and and so to hear Martin Luther King Jr's vision of the content of character <laughs> as being wrong is wrong okay and so and so our scriptures guide us into an original, a a universal phenomenon of sin, except for Jesus Christ. So anyway, I'll I'll stop there. Coupled within these uh, scheming um, lies is the whole issue of power. That that behind much of this gender identity and much of the uh, anti-racism rhetoric and white supremacy rhetoric is a framework that asserts that the organizing reality of our human uh, family is power that all it's really a marxist framework but but really essentially what it's saying is you have oppressors and you have the oppressed that is what 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 it says is the that's the organizing principle. And then in the racial context, that gets, it's it's the racial oppressor. White, white is the oppressor and all other people, black indigenous people of color, BIPOC, they are the oppressed. Therefore, in this framework, only uh, the oppressor can be the center. Uh, the oppressed can never be racist. They can never be wrong because they are the oppressed, okay? And so these power games play in two directions. I think this is something that, that pervades our um, society. It has made its way into the churches um, as churches are now teaching this kind of thing, that power is the issue. Nope. The grasping after power is a manifestation of the problem, and that is sin and an estrangement from God. Okay. And so Jesus told his followers, who themselves, Peter and, uh, I'm sorry, James and John, had kind of got their mom involved in the game too. Hey, when you come into your kingdom, may we sit on your right and your left? <laughs> and Jesus pulls the rest of the group over and says, Okay, guys, here it is. You know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their, their rulers love to exercise authority, but it shall not be so with you. You, whoever wants to be great will become the servant of all. And he talked about the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. And so Jesus understands that the grasping after power and the exertion of power and the domination of others is a problem. So so I'm not denying that oppression exists and there are oppressed. But that is a, that is a manifestation of the deeper reality when we break from God, we become the ones who determine right and wrong, good and evil. And so there's something in the human spirit that wishes to dominate others. Okay? It's not just the issue of one person or one race of, of, of people. It all humans. And so the oppressed minorities want to be in power. Okay. I, I that that's that's the play here. The other way this plays out is in the deception and the lie that political power is necessary for the church to thrive, okay? Uh, Many conservative Christians fall into this trap, okay? So we can look at the power game and look at the the, the neo-Marxist or the Marxist framework of oppression, the oppressor and the oppressed, and we can look at that and reject that, and we should reject that. But we, often conservative Christians, fall into the trap of thinking that we've got to get the White House, we've got to get the Senate, we've got to get the Supreme Court, we've got to get the House of Representatives, we've got to get the State House. And if we can do that, then we're going to be able to thrive as Christians. That's a lie. That must be rejected as well. And so it plays, it plays in churches and it influences churches. And so churches go all in, and this happens on both sides of the political aisle. Churches go all in for a political candidate or a political platform thinking that that's the issue political power. So power games is a, is a cunning and crafty game that plays in two directions. The neo-Marxist uh, vision that is really behind this anti-racism and white supremacy rhetoric and all of this gender oppression stuff. And so you've got that, but you've also got the subtle lie that what we Christians really need to do is to gain political power so that we can have influence in society. It's a lie. Don't buy it. Okay, reject it. Another wind of teaching that blows uh, in our culture and now is uh, somewhat influencing the church is the notion that the basis of truth is not God's word, not um, the pursuit of truth, be it through scientific endeavor and evidence and and back and forth or, or revelatory truth as we have here in the scriptures but the sole basis of truth is one's lived experience. The notion that I have experienced an offense, I have experienced oppression, therefore I am saying you are wrong, you are a white supremacist, or you're a a, a gender oppressor, or you are some other form of economic oppressor. And my lived experience becomes the final arbiter of truth. Well, friends, that is just the knowledge of the tree of good and evil manifested, right? I become the sole arbiter and one who determines right and wrong, good and evil. And my lived experience says you are evil because you have done something that I didn't like. You offended me. Therefore, I declare you to be in the wrong. And then, of course, this extends out into what we're now experiencing as like a cancel culture, right? And so, if you have said the wrong thing, according to, again, some arbitrary lived experience of some individual, if you have said the wrong thing, or uh, tweeted out uh, years ago, wrote something in your yearbook, or somebody wrote something about you. And I'm not saying those were right back there, but this notion of my lived experience becomes the sole determiner. Well, okay, well, if you play that game, why doesn't the lived experience of, let's say, a white person and a straight person then become true? Oh, well, you're the oppressor. So your lived experience doesn't count. In fact, what what I was being taught in this anti-racism training, I need to decenter my whiteness, I need to decenter my straight white male privilege. I need to stop speaking and I need to give the microphone to those who have been oppressed. That is uh, I need to uh, stop Having a position of influence in my church, uh, even one person in our presbytery had said, all the white men should resign from their jobs so that others can finally have a chance to lead. Hmm. Well, that's an idea. I don't think it's a good idea, but that's an idea. Where is that coming from? Who says such a thing? And who says so with a straight face? And who says so? And, and how do people hear that and in any manner think that that's credible? <laughs> well, it's this whole thing of lived experience becomes the basis of truth. And my lived experience is straight white men have been bad to me or to other people. Therefore, straight white men as a category need to move off stage. That's a lie that must be rejected. It is a wind of teaching that is cunning and crafty. It sounds good. It sounds sympathetic to people of color who haven't had opportunities to lead, perhaps. I mean, I didn't think about it at Greenwich. I didn't think, well, maybe I'll resign and Greenwich can go out and choose, you know, a woman or a person of color or a, a, a gay pastor, I, but... I believe I'm called by God through the voice of the congregation. <laughs> I'm called to be a pastor teacher of this congregation. And I know that based on the word of God and this community, it's not my lived experience, but it's something that we have discerned together in community. Um, let, let me wrap up here um, just with one that, that often gets overlooked. And it is this notion, I, I I put it this way on the whiteboard, the pursuit of happiness, Right? We talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. A, a wind of teaching that is blowing through the culture now uh, and, and has been for, for decades, really, is that my happiness, my emotional well-being, my pleasure is the most important thing that I need to be about. And then often it's it's pointing back to the Constitution. This runs antithetical to the truth of pick up your cross, deny yourself, and 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 follow Jesus. This 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 runs counter to uh, the call of Jesus to uh, to to serve and to give one's life away. On behalf of others, and so uh, we see this in our social media. We see this in our in our consumer culture that the pursuit of my happiness, the pursuit of my well emotional well being, and anything that stands in the way of my emotional happiness or my emotional well being is wrong and needs to be removed. And again, you're offending me, or I'm a victim, or and so this victim mentality that wraps around these things. And so um, the pandemic has, I think, accelerated some of this uh, in some ways. Um, so I, I won't explore that a whole lot more, but I will just say God has uh, other uh, intentions for us than our. God intends for our emotional well being in an ultimate and eschatological sense, right? Uh, the joy, the eternal pleasures at God's right hand, as the psalm says at Psalm 16. But I would offer to you that our culture is, of, is dangerously, precipitously moving towards a hedonistic culture where all things are about my own pleasure or personal increasing personal pleasure. And when that is threatened, then uh, people cry foul. Um, I have intentionally not touched on critical race theory. I have not, intentionally not touched on social justice warriors and the like. I think those things are in play but those there's a little more complexity to those intersectionality and the like but i've i've tried to identify a few realities that are blowing about strongly <laughs> the winds are strong and underneath them in each of them are lies and deceptions that stand in contradiction to the word of god God has made us male and female. God has made us in his image. God has made us not to be gods unto ourselves determining right and wrong, but to be servants who delight in his word and his commands. Uh, his uh, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life. God's word is truth, not our lived experience, because our lived experience is often tainted by sin uh, and, and pride. And... Uh, yes, God intends our pleasure and happiness, but it is through suffering and it is through uh, humility and it is through faith and hope uh, and and love of Jesus Christ that we will come to enjoy these eternal pleasures. So anyway, let me stop there. Um, we'll pick up uh, next week uh, with the balance of chapter four and probably get into a little bit of chapter five as well. Okay, uh, and as we head into the weekend, let's take a moment to pray. Father, hear our prayers. Again, take anything I may have said that was unhelpful, untrue, unwise, and blow it away with wind of your spirit, Lord, but that which is true, cause it to abide. Give us great discernment. Uh, Ground us more deeply in the truths of your word that we can stand against uh, the lies and deceptions and every wind of teaching that our culture is bringing to us and sadly that has been embraced by many even within the church. And so help me and help us at Greenwich uh, to be clear and firm uh, and courageous and humble as we stand for your truth. And so we offer uh, ourselves afresh to this end in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray together saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God of grace and joy and truth and life, may that God watch over you, keep you, bless you hold you fast against all of these winds. May he do this now and forevermore. Amen.